20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of a Pack a Day Podcast. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, thank you so much for making this part of your day. My name is Nick Schmitz, and I will be your host today. And we go into the bye week, the Packers 8-2, and two, and gotta say, at the start of the year, if you told me the Packers would be 8-2 and two going into their bye, I probably would have said that you were lying and crazy, and I also would have told you that if it was a possibility, I would absolutely take 8-2 and two as a record for the Packers, and here we are, 10 weeks into the season, and 8-2 and two is now the reality for the Packers, and got to feel good about it after the last two years injuries and down years and somewhat overall bad rosters you got to be happy with where this team is sitting into the bye week big games coming up and looking at the remaining schedule my personal belief that the the floor of this team should be 12 and 4 barring any injuries to Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers is healthy, there is no reason this team should not at this point win 12 12 games. That should be the absolute minimum for the the team at this point with where everything stands with their schedule and their team. So, uh but with that, let me bring in Maggie and Jacob, guys. Um well, so we were supposed to record Monday because you both were supposed to be down near Milwaukee uh, having autographs signed by uh, Jamal Williams and Danny Vitale and Aaron Jones, but uh, their agents didn't realize that uh, they had scheduled that signing during the bye week. So no no jersey signings or anything like that this week, but nonetheless, uh, Maggie, Jacob, Maggie, I'll start with you. Packers starting 8-2 and two going into the bye week. I mean... We talked before the show. We didn't. You didn't have them at eight and eight and two. I certainly didn't. Um, Maggie, what are your thoughts on eight and two going into the bye? I mean, I don't remember exactly where I had them at this point in the season, but I know I had them ending at ten and six. Um, so, given that their final six teams on the schedule have a combined twenty five thirty and one record, um, it definitely feels like this team will exceed that prediction by a long shot. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily what anyone was predicting going into the season, but how can you not be excited? Um, Jamal Williams had a really good quote uh, at his locker after the game, and he said, you know, good teams don't lose two weeks in a row. So you learn from your mistakes, and that's exactly what they did after the Eagles game, and it's what they did again against the Chargers. And... Aaron Rodgers said it too. He said Lambeau is going to be a tough place to play again. And the Packers are setting themselves up to play meaningful football at Lambeau Field into January. And I think that's probably the most exciting part about being a Packer fan right now. Absolutely. And I mean, Jacob, I know you kind of had this part of the season as what you called your slide part of the season. Uh, you had them what six and four going into the bye, so certainly eight and two, much better than what again what most of us were thinking. But yeah, just some of your thoughts quickly: eight and two into the bye week, looking pretty good so far. Yeah, I had them winning nine games total uh, after a fast start, kind of fading down the stretch, and uh, they won a couple games that I didn't expect them to. Uh, Kansas City, 
Dallas, just to name a couple uh, that I didn't have them expected to win early in the season. But it's it's positive. You mentioned 12 wins being the floor for this team. If you guys look at it, it's possible if they go five and one down the stretch, they will match their win total from each of the last two seasons combined. And that's crazy to think about that that's a possibility. Uh, I don't think anybody, the most optimistic Corey Benke-esque Packers fan couldn't have told you that he thought the Packers were going to go 13-3, and 12-4 and four in his wildest dreams. I think a lot of us, even on the optimistic side, I think Maggie said she had him at 10-6. and six. I said that, you know, they could win like 11 games, make the playoffs. I think we're talking about a team, and I, and I know there's flaws, and I know I had this conversation kind of all day on Twitter today, but there's flaws with the team. They certainly could have some of those flaws exposed and be a one-and-done. But I also think that there's a possibility that this team is a Super Bowl contender. They can win in a variety of ways. They can win with Aaron Rodgers playing like an MVP level that he is. They can win by ramming the ball down your throat with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. They can win with a suffocating defense that gets after the quarterback with Zedarius and Preston Smith. Ball hawks on the back end like Jair Alexander and Tremont Williams. And that's crazy that he's still intercepting passes for the Packers. But here we are. The Packers, yes, they have their flaws. They have some questions that need to be answered. Can they stop the run well enough when it gets into January? Do they have a second receiving option that can get open if they start teams start to double and triple Devontae Adams? Yes, those things are all valid. But after watching the last two seasons, which were incredibly depressing for separate reasons on their own, uh, this team is a lot of fun. Maggie, you and I can speak to this having been in the stadium. That atmosphere on Sunday was absolutely electric. Uh, it, it's one thing for me. It's the first time this year I got to see it. Uh, it's one thing for me to watch the team do the D train and all the celebration stuff after a turnover on the TV. It's a completely different thing to see it in person. Uh, this team is having fun. This team is excited to play together. And Aaron Rodgers said it right. It's a tough place to play. And if Green Bay can get it to where all NFC postseason games are at Lambeau Field, I'll take my chances. I really like my chances in that scenario if I'm the Packers. I think that Jared Goff doesn't play well in the cold. Drew Brees, I think, would wilt in the cold. Um, I mean, Russell Wilson, the Seahawks might be a little scary in that scenario, but you got to feel good about getting a chance at getting them at Lambeau Field if that's the case. Eight and two, it's a lot of fun, and I don't really want to explain it too much. I just want to enjoy the ride. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, they're sitting at a great, great spot. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of different things in there. And I think one of the things, and I I wish I would have taken a look at this, and I'd be willing to guess that the answer is probably zero. But we've now seen Aaron Rodgers this year win two different games in which he didn't throw a touchdown pass because their running game was their running game and their defense was good enough where he didn't have to do that. And not only that, but you could argue that, you know, both Carolina and Dallas, you know, whether or not Carolina and Dallas will make the playoffs, they may not, but you can very easily argue that they are playoff caliber teams. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers beat two playoff caliber teams without throwing a single touchdown pass because he didn't need to, um, I don't, when has that ever happened in his career? And that that should actually 
make you excited that Aaron Rodgers, again, we've talked about this, that he doesn't have to carry the load. He doesn't have to wear the Superman cape every week in order for this team to win. And, you know, one of the things we talked about going into the Carolina game last week was the Packers were 6-0 and when forcing at least one turnover. Well, they forced two against Carolina, and they're now 7-0 and when – forcing turnovers. So the again, every team has flaws. So let's not sit here and say that, you know, we know what the Packers flaws are as a team because they're the team we root for, but again, everybody was worried about losing to the Chargers coming out flat. Well, I don't know, I'm sure both, well, maybe since you guys were at the game, you probably didn't have a chance to watch the Saints and the Falcons this weekend, but um yeah, it's uh, probably a game that Saints fans are scratching their heads about right now. So um, but anyway, so lots to be excited about going into the bye week. Um, get some well-needed rest. You know, it, I was talking about this with somebody the other day, guys, and it's the Packers team right now is kind of it, – it's it's interesting because they don't have, like – they have injuries, but they don't. Um, I think I saw today going into Sunday they had 21 players or something like that on the injury list. Now, granted, I think every one of them played. So they're, they're, nobody's missing games, but they're still a little banged up. So it's a good time to hit the, the bye week, get some rest, and you know come out strong for the 49ers game here in two weeks, which, by the way, most of you, because you are smart intellectual people and are plugged into the internet um, – <laughs> <laughs> probably already know this, but I find it that it is our obligation here, if you don't already know by the time you're listening to this, that game has been moved from America's Game of the Week at 325 to the Sunday night game on Sunday night football in two weeks. So make sure you um, adjust your schedules to two Sundays from now accordingly. And, Jacob, you're giving me the big thumbs down sign there. Uh, uh, care to explain why you're doing that? Yeah, I don't like primetime games. I hate waiting all day for Sunday night. It's cool once the game starts, the idea that all eyes are on your team, but the Packers have played enough primetime games this year. I am a big proponent. Mike McCarthy used to talk about this all the time too, a normal schedule. I like to wake up. I like to have breakfast. I like to go for a run. I like to come home and get ready, and the game starts at noon, and I know that I have – the rest of my day to keep watching Packers football or, or excuse me, keep watching football after the Packers game or to do something else if I want to. And it just seems backwards to do that during the day. I don't like Sunday night football. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of it either for pretty much the same reasons. Maggie, any, any thoughts on Sunday night football as opposed to noon or three o'clock games? It depends. If I'm in a hotel somewhere by myself, I don't really like it because I get bored and lonely. Well, not bored, but I guess bored waiting for the game to start. Um, And then I spend $13 for a single hotel beer and it makes me sad. (laughs) But if I'm with like a bunch of people, then I don't mind the night games because, you know, we just put on football for the entire day. And then it kind of shows you where, you know, how everyone else did. So, you know, what the Packers are going into before the game starts. So, when I'm alone, hate it. When I'm with other people, love it. All right. Well, in any case, whether you like Sunday night football or not, you're going to have to deal with it in two weeks when the Packers go to San Francisco to play the 49ers. Uh, something tells me they'll be a little bit better prepared for the West Coast trip than they were a couple weeks ago. So 
Um, they can't but, be any worse prepared than they were the last time around. So no, that's very true. But again, you know, that's something that we talked about a little bit pre-show that kind of seemed uh, a forgotten a forgotten piece in the win over the over the Panthers on Sunday, which was. You know, I, I kind of talked about it, and Maggie, you kind of joked with me. It's a little cliche, but just win Sunday, and now everybody seemingly has forgotten about the poor performance. And, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's amazing what winning will do, but uh, it's a gr- it was a great turnaround. They came out, played much better. You all saw that on Sunday. It was a great game. Um, but during the bye week, obviously, there is no – opponent to preview this week and uh, the Packers still can't cover the tight end during the bye week but um, so we're going to break down Matt LaFleur a little bit here coming into the bye week starting off his coaching career as a head coach at eight and two and just kind of where we're at with Matt LaFleur what to expect moving forward and uh, just Kind of how we feel about the coach so far right now. Beyond obviously eight and two is great, but where has he been good? Where can he be better? So starting with that, Jacob, just kind of your overall thoughts so far right now of Matt Lafleur as a head coach. Yeah, so I came into the season uh, and I said it as soon as they hired him. My expectations level is zero. I don't have any expectations. I don't think it's possible to have expectations on somebody who's never been a head coach. Uh, There are plenty of examples. Uh, Doug Peterson was unanimously referred to in his class as like the worst hire ever or something like that. Super Bowl champion, uh, one of the best coaches in football. Mike McCarthy was seen as a bad hire. He's got a street named after him in Green Bay. He's a Super Bowl champion. Uh, So those are several examples, or just a couple at least. So I didn't have any expectations. I knew – you know, what happened in Tennessee, but I also know that my opinion of Tennessee's offense is pretty low. Uh, I don't think that they have, you know, I'm not a Marcus Mariota fan. Uh, He's been benched for Ryan Tannehill. I think that answers any question that anybody could have had about him. I did like listening to him and something that I think is really indicative of LaFleur and his progression so far is if you watch that first press conference, he's nervous as hell. And you can tell that he wasn't comfortable in front of a microphone. And now, granted, this is a small part of it, but now he's pretty comfortable behind the microphone. He cracks jokes with the reporters. Uh, He doesn't seem like he's tripping over his words, looking around, hoping for some help or something like that. And I really think that that's a good metaphor for what has happened to LaFleur as a coach. Now, early in the year, uh, there are some things that you can kind of take with a grain of salt. The Bears game, for example, they only scored 10 points. And they really struggled to get things going. That Bears defense is still nasty. Uh, and the Packers offense was really struggling to find its way. But I think that you've seen when something doesn't go well, that LaFleur, one, owns up to it, admits it, and two, makes a concerted effort to fix it in the following week. For example, the Philadelphia game. Packers lose. They don't run the ball inside the five. And the next week, Aaron Jones touches the ball a million times and scores four touchdowns. LaFleur owned up to that. They lose to the Chargers. LaFleur says, I have to do a better job of getting my guys ready and getting their energy level up, getting their preparation level, their focus level. The Packers did end up falling behind on Sunday, but you could tell immediately their energy level was fine. They were there. They were ready to play. The Panthers just happened to make a play a little bit earlier. 
And something else, Peter Bukowski wrote a story on Packer Report talking about how, and something I, there are many things to admire about Bill Belichick, but something I really admire about him is he doesn't talk about my scheme, my system, my this, my that. It's what do these players do well and how can I get them to perform at their peak level? And this week, that might mean we run it 50 times. Next week, it might mean we throw it 40 times. But we're going to do what gives us the best chance to win. And I think Matt LaFleur has done a really good job of doing that because we heard it all offseason. LaFleur wants to run the ball. He's going to want to run that outside zone scheme, blah, 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 blah. He's been pass happy. The Raiders game is an example. The Eagles game, that was the matchup, was an example. Uh, And I, I really enjoy the way that he's managed games. Uh, the, the mic'd up thing that's become one of those things is all gas, no break. And I think that he's done a good job with that. I enjoy his aggression. Uh, there are definitely some things that still can be worked out uh, and some things that I think he's learning. But from what I've gathered through those 10 games, listening to him talk and watching his actions on the field, because there are plenty of examples where coaches said a bunch of stuff and then come game day, we're still doing all the same stuff. LaFleur doesn't do that. And I think that it's a positive sign that when something goes wrong, he change or looks into it and makes the necessary adjustments to fix it. I'm encouraged. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's the next Bill Belichick, but I think through 10 games, the Packers can feel pretty good that they made the right hire as the head coach. Well, and Maggie, I mean, Jacob put a lot into perspective there. Just your thoughts, you know, 10 weeks into the season, it's a small sample size, but what are your initial thoughts so far of of Matt LaFleur, other than that you would die for him? Uh, I was just going to say my initial thought is that I would die for Matt LaFleur, but because he stole that that from me. um, uh, That was a while ago. I think it was after the Cowboys game, right? Am I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I'll have to go back and check the archive, but yeah, I don't know. If someone on Twitter remembers, let us know. Please. Uh, But no, I mean, I guess like my initial thought is just that he has a realistic shot at setting some franchise history, which is really cool when you think about the fact that, you know, this is a 101 year old franchise and, if Matt LaFleur wins one more game this season, he ties Mike Holmgren and Mike Sherman for the most NFL wins by a Packers head coach in their first season. And the odds at this point look really good that Matt LaFleur will surpass the 10 win mark and become the first coach with 10 plus wins in team history. So that in and of itself is a huge thing. Uh, You look at what he's done for the offense. He brought a balanced offensive attack back to green Bay um, how he's been utilizing Aaron Jones, who already has 14 touchdowns out of the season, um, both backs in their role in the passing game. Um, all last season, I just was on Twitter begging for Jamal Williams to get some looks in the passing game. Um, so the fact that Williams and Jones are both being utilized in that role in Matt LaFleur's offense, you know, says a lot about this team and what he's been able to do. He's got the tight end position more involved. Jimmy Graham has already surpassed his touchdown total. Uh, Mercedes Lewis is being utilized as more than just a blocker. He's somebody that Aaron Rodgers looks to in the middle of the field. So I agree with what Jacob says. I mean, this team just feels different. The atmosphere, the locker room, the leadership, the players have bought into something that's been missing for multiple years now. 
in Green Bay. And the Packers also lead the league in beating teams with winning records with five. So the Cowboys, Eagles, Vikings, or not the Eagles, the Cowboys, Vikings, Chiefs, Panthers. Um, but this is a good team, you know, and, and Matt LaFleur continues to make adjustments each week to prepare for the next opponent, look at what works, keep doing what works, adjusting what doesn't work. And that's really all you can ask for from a first-year head coach is the ability to fit his offense, fit his defense to his players rather than trying to fit his players into a team. It's the whole, you know, square peg, round hole kind of thing. And Matt LaFleur does not do that. And that's already something that's been really impressive with his short time in Green Bay. Well, you know, you you both bring up very interesting points about, you know, what he's willing to do, making it so, putting his players in the best positions to succeed, not asking them to do things that they're not good at, which is obviously something that, um, as you know, as much as I respect Ted Thompson, that was not something he was very good at. He was he was very much a general manager that said, "Hey, here's a player, make it work." Uh, so it is very different to see in Green Bay seeing that. Um, I do want to talk though about uh, you know, and it, it's one instance that I can think of, and I I know Jacob, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit on Sunday, um, and it's and because it, I feel it does matter, and it, what, what your opinion is is not necessarily important. It's more uh, what you kind of take away from the decision. Um, which, and again, I, I don't mean to just pick on this one. It's all, coaches do it all, all the time around the league, but on Sunday at the end of the half, uh, Matt LaFleur decided to go for the touchdown instead of taking the three points, and it was something that, you know, I know a lot of Packer fans loved. I was not one of them, um, and I know it's something that, you know, it, it's it can be a very big topic of discussion, but uh, more so what I'm looking for here from both of you guys is, is, A, what did you think of the decision to go for it versus, and you know, kicking the field goal and being in those situations as a young coach that can't be easy, you know, having to make that decision, knowing that you have a Hall of Fame quarterback there. And I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers was in his ear saying, hey, we got to go for it. Um, but just kind of what it's like being in that situation, having to make the decision, um, you know, and obviously if Jamal Williams scores a touchdown, we're not even talking about it. It's not a conversation because you you get the high the high reward with the high risk there. But, Jacob, just kind of walk us through what did you think of him deciding to go for it instead of kicking the field goal and kind of, you know, what does that tell you about him as a young head coach and what it could mean, you know, come – down the stretch of the season here as games become more meaningful, especially leading into the playoffs. All gas, no break. Same thing I told you on Sunday. And here's my thing. I know it didn't work out. I think the some of the decision-making that came with it was poor, not having Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones on the field, namely, for the play that they called. <laughs> Secondly, they should have been bailed out because Jamal Williams blatantly false started before the play. I'm glad I'm not the only one that noticed that. <laughs> it wasn't called. <laughs> but uh, if it was called, I guess the Packers wouldn't have had a choice. But here's my thing. I love it. Uh, I think that there are times when you've got – I don't think it's just as cookie cutter as, oh, fourth and goal at the one, you go for it every single time or anything like that. I think you have to kind of read the flow of the game. For example – 
if they're playing the Seahawks and that defense from 25th, not to use the championship game from that year almost exclusively, but points in that game are at a premium. You know, kicking a field goal there, I don't hate the decision. If I could go back and change it again, I wish the second time around. So the field goal that made it 6 nothing. I wish McCarthy would have gone for it in that instance. But I think you read the flow of the game. You see what's going on. What I think it says, to answer your question, Nick, is that Matt LaFleur trusts his players. And he was willing to do something that was aggressive to make things work. And really, I mean, the upside of it is that Green Bay has a chance to go up 21-10 to 10 and then 28-10 to 10 if they can score again out of the half, which they've been pretty good at doing here of late. Um, but – as soon as they called pass interference and put the ball at the one, I was sitting in my seat saying, go for it. Uh, go for the touchdown because the three points, I didn't think it was going to do a whole lot. Now, in the end, I could hear this, the the rebuttal coming in my ear of if McCaffrey had scored on the last play of the game. Somebody saying, oh, those three points would have really come in handy there, wouldn't they? Which would have made sense. Uh, but that being said, I think that the coach trusts his players. I think the coach trusts his offense. And it was another example, though, of him making an adjustment. He said, looking back on it, I don't like the play call. Now, my initial thought on that is, well, you're the one who made the play call, so if you don't like it now, then why did you like it then? But beside the point, willing to look at the situation objectively, make an adjustment, and the next time the Packers will have a better call. But the process, I was all for. Go for it. Put your foot on your throat. You're at home. You're the better team. You're at Lambeau Field. Step on their throat before they even get a chance, and you can have a chance there too. What's Green Bay's biggest weakness? Running defense. If you go up 28-10, to 10, Christian McCaffrey's impact in that game is over as a runner. So I liked it. I liked the fact that he said after the game that he would do it again. He just would call something different. Um, but, yeah, overall, I'm, I'm all for it. Step on their throat. Well, and so Maggie, I want to get you know your take on it here. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I kind of want to know what you think about this, is um, it was I thought it was interesting that they decided to run the ball uh, for a couple different reasons. One is because I I tend to believe that in the last four years of an Aaron Rodgers led Packer team that. If you get one shot at the end zone from the one-yard line, running the ball is probably not the play call that they go with. Not that running the ball was a bad thing to do. I think it says a little bit about how he trusts his run game. But it's kind of an interesting um, juxtaposition, if you will, from the Eagles game when they had the ball first and goal from the one-yard line and threw it four straight times. So what did you think of the call, and especially the fact that they decided to run the ball instead of put the ball in Aaron's hands and throw it for a potential touchdown? I mean, I think that when you look at kind of how the first half ended, it almost is like it kickstarted the run game in the second half because they were gashing them for like nine yards of play towards the end of that game. Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones right up the gut were really getting a lot of traction against that Panthers uh, front seven. So I don't necessarily agree with the play call to end the first half, but I think that that idea of running up the middle really carried them through the second half. So maybe, you know, I agree that the play call wasn't necessarily ideal for that situation, but I do like the fact that he went for it. Um, Just like, you know, Ron Rivera and the Panthers going for two after they scored their touchdown. 
if they kick the extra point and then Christian McCaffrey gets in on the goal line with fourth and zero, they kick a field goal and everyone, or they kick an extra point and everyone's going to overtime. So in those moments like that, you can't fault the head coach for thinking that they're foot on the gas going to win a game. And not to say that this game was like the end all be all for either team season. If the Packers lost this game, they'd still be in contention. The Panthers are definitely still in contention, but you can't fault a head coach for making a decision to try and put his team in the best position to win the game. Well, you know, I it's it's interesting because you both liked the the decision to go for it. I didn't I didn't necessarily dislike it, but I I look at football as a math equation, and I know that's not necessarily the way it always works. But the average team, the average game, it, it, each team sc- scores right around the twenty-three point mark. So I look at it as you got to score about twenty-four points in order to win most NFL games. So I look at it as if you can get to seventeen points, that means you only need to score roughly seven points in the second half to get to what I would call quote the magic number of 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 points you need to score every week so i i mean i understand the idea um i understand the aggression but i also don't like the idea of in the first half especially i don't like leaving points on the field and i know not everybody agrees with that and i know i know it's again th- this is not an indictment of matt lafleur it's it's they won the game, so it's not like we're questioning it. But it's just – it is interesting because I'm sure a situation like this, something similar, is going to rear its head near the end of the season. And it's just interesting to see how Lafleur is approaching these situations. And obviously, like you both said, and I would agree uh, you know, fully with what you guys said about – you know, every situation's different. And, you know, if it was a different team, if the flow of the game was different, you know, and I, I even talked to a lot of people that said that probably the deciding factor for the for Lafleur going for it was the fact that he knew he was getting the ball to start the second half, where if he maybe wasn't getting the ball to start the second half, he would have said, no, just give me the point. So, um, but nonetheless, uh Real quickly here, we want to get to a green and golden uh, to wrap up the show here. But real quickly, before we get to that, just give me overall your overall grade so far, 10 games in into the bye week, 8-2. and two. What is your letter grade for Matt LaFleur so far? Maggie, I'll start with you on this. I would die for Matt LaFleur, so A. <laughs> All right. Short and sweet. <laughs> and Jacob, I know you are – much less willing to put your life on the line for Coach LaFleur at this point, but uh, nonetheless, your letter grade for him would be? Uh, not just for Matt LaFleur, but really anybody not named Blake or Frankie. That's really it as far as people I'm giving up giving up life for here. But you see where we I'm rank there, Maggie? Where we stand. Yep, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Listen, I would try and let a bullet graze me for you guys, but yeah, full front <laughs> diving in front of it. <laughs> um that's that's the best I can do. I'm sorry. I'll throw an elbow at it or something like that. That's what I got for you. Um, no, Nick, to answer your question, I'll give him a B plus. Uh, the, the Eagles game, for example, is one that sticks out. Um, coaching decisions in that game left a little bit to be desired. And the, the Chargers game, it's not an indictment. But, I mean, when the team comes out flat, flat like that, um, that's some issues that need to be cleaned up. But otherwise, very pleased at this point uh, with the head coach. So, Nick, with that in mind, at something while you were talking there, I have a question for you then. All right. 
So in the Super Bowl two seasons ago, when the Eagles ran the Philly special, yes, would you have kicked a field goal? Yes. Okay. Well, see, then the Patriots would be seven-time Super Bowl champions. Which is part of the reason why I would have kicked the field goal. Oh, you wanted the Patriots to win that game? I root for the Patriots in every Super Bowl. Go Birds, man. That was awesome. Not only did I get to see the Patriots lose the Super Bowl, it was in person, and my camera guy shot Tom Brady choking the game away. It was glorious. Oh, I'm assuming you're talking about the, uh, the, the well, I guess the Philly special that was ran before the Philly special? The, no, the Brandon Graham uh, strip set. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, well, back on track here. Yes, I, would, I always take points in the first half. Um, but uh, I would give Matt LaFleur an A-, and the reason I, I give him the A-, and it's, it's kind of along the same lines that you gave him a B+, Jacob, is the fact that, you know, there was a lot to, you know, there was some concerns with the Eagles game and, again, with the Chargers game. But uh, part of the reason why I give him the A- is because, yeah, they were they were bad games and they weren't necessarily ready for it, but I like the way that they responded in both the games following those, you know, less than stellar performances. And I think that says a lot about the coaching staff and it says a lot about the players as well that they're, you know, they, they take it seriously. Um, but I, I really, you learn a lot. We've talked about it both now t- after both losses. We've learned quite a bit about this team from the games that they've lost, and I think they've learned as a team, as a coaching staff, and it's really good to see that response as opposed to them coming out and just kind of laying flat, you know, a couple weeks in a row. So um, so it sounds like we're all pretty much on the up and up with Matt LaFleur here. Um, it, Maggie is the only one willing to die for him right now uh, out of this podcast group. Um, Do you guys think he'll win Coach of the Year? No, no, I'm trying to, I mean, I think that he'll kind of get points taken away from him because he has Aaron Rodgers, but cause I'm thinking did McCarthy didn't win coach of the year in 11 when they went 15 and one, did he? I don't think so. No, I don't think he did either. I don't think McCarthy ever won coach of the year and they had some years where mm-hmm. he definitely could have. I'm think. I mean, until yet or Sunday's action, I thought like Frank Reich or somebody like that, because Obviously, Belichick's always in the conversation. Right now, I, I guess maybe John Harbaugh with the way they've done with. I would say Harbaugh. The other one I would keep an eye on just because it's actually kind of impressive when you think about their season. Depending on how the Raiders season turns out, John Gruden oh, could yeah. very Jeffy. much be in that conversation given the fact that all that craziness of the offseason, the fact that they are where they are at right now is way beyond impressive so all right well let's wrap up here quick guys let's give our our green and golden again um we are giving this to a player that could use a hug and a puppy after a particular play or maybe a particularly less than stellar game this was an idea that my wife came up with after mason crosby's five missed field goals last year against detroit so we have a couple of uh candidates this week um maggie you want to give them out here Well, my vote for the green and golden was Jair Alexander because he missed on a couple interceptions and one likely would have been not only the game closer, but a pick six. Um, So he's played kind of on hot and cold back and forth. Uh, When he's on, he's really on, but he's his interception numbers are down and to be the all pro corner that he wants to be, that would have been the play to make on Sunday evening. 
And Jacob, the other green and golden? Uh, yeah, Jair Alexander's dropped interception caused me to teach the children behind me at the game some new words because I'm an awful, awful person with a potty mouth. But that being said, my green and golden goes to David Bakhtiari, who we mentioned, and I didn't even talk about it when I talked about the fourth down play. But not only did Jamal Williams fall start, but Bakhtiari completely whiffed, just flat whiffed on his block. And if you think about, on paper, the way Elton Jenkins has played this year, running behind Jenkins and Bakhtiari feels like ultimate advantage Packers, and it just wasn't. And it hasn't been. uh, I'm not saying he's been poor, but hopefully this hug fixes his back, his neck, whatever it is that's going on with him, because David Bakhtiari does not look like the all-pro left tackle we've come accustomed to playing. Absolutely. And the other two honorable mentions uh, are the Smith Bros this week. And I know before anybody rips my head off, they're honorable mentions. And it's not because they had bad games, but they both did have what one bigger than the other. But they both had offside penalties on the last drive that came in at crucial moments. Preston Smith's offsides extended the drive and what would have been the game-winning play for the Packers. But... Um, just uh, you know, just a little bit of a hug, a little bit of a puppy love over the over the bye week, and uh, no more no more jumping off sides. We don't need any D Fords in the playoffs here. So, um, oh my god, <laughs> we're still mad. Oh, we play um, D Ford next week, so maybe that's an omen. Hey, there you go. Well, and uh, something to keep an eye on. Um, I know I I don't know about you guys. I was very pained to root for the Seahawks the other night on Monday night, but. Uh, Ultimately, had to do it. Got the win. Got to close some ground on the 49ers there. So I don't Those know. Are for an asteroid. <laughs> well, uh, that I mean, one never you, seems to win. Well, you got this. You got the next best thing. Both of them playing on a short week and had to play a full overtime period just to decide yep. a winner. So that could. And we uh, didn't get a stupid tie out of it. I'm yeah, that was actually the one thing I was I was sitting there thinking the entire time. It's like you got two of the best teams in the league and probably the greatest game of the season so far, and it's going to end in a stupid tie because the NFL can't figure it out. But anyway, I digress. Well, let's wrap up here quickly, guys. Uh, Maggie, if people want to follow your work, follow you on Twitter. How can they do that? You can find me on Twitter at Maggie J Loney L O N E Y, and I also write for Cheesehead TV. And, Jacob, if people want to find your work, follow you on Twitter, how can they do that? They can do that at Jacob Westendorf. And I just finished a Jimmy Graham story for Packer Report at Packer Report 66. Uh, If you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, you missed our two months for $1 subscription, but there are others. And as some of you have probably seen, Ross Uglum just recently started a podcast on that website with Gilbert Brown. If nothing else for – uh, listening to Gilbert Brown consistently call Ross Ogham as Ugg. That sounds amazing. <laughs> um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at SportsMitty. I am not cool like the other two here, Maggie and Jacob. I don't have any work that you can necessarily follow other than this. But you can follow me on Twitter at SportsMitty and look at my less than less than great sports takes, especially if you don't like it when I say that Packers should kick field goals at the end of the half. So, Or anything that you say related to the Patriots. Uh, well, I, you know, I don't usually tweet about the Patriots. So, Thank God. 
Well, with that, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're liking and subscribing to the Pack-A-Day podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, and make sure you're following the Pack-A-Day podcast on Twitter at Pack-A-Day podcast. With that, thank you so much for listening, everyone, and as always, go Pack-Go. Go Pack-Go.